Hello, brothers and sisters, and welcome back to an all-new Sermons in the Park podcast-exclusive episode. <clears throat> Sorry. As always, I am your Reverend Jamie McCaskill. Um, I want to start off by just saying thank you for joining me here. It's always a pleasure to have you guys listening in or watching over on the videos. If you're hearing a noise in the background, not the ticking. The ticking is actually my heater that's behind my couch. Um, it's actually raining here in Fostoria right now. Uh, it's 9.30 on a beautiful, beautiful Monday. Um, it's, and yes, it is raining. And it's 38 degrees outside, according to my weather station, if you're curious. Because <laughs> I was looking at it to see what day it is. Um, so yeah, uh, so you know, I, I always, like I've told you guys time and again, I like doing these podcast exclusive episodes because it just kind of feels like, hey, I'm on the phone with you guys instead of uh, being all dressed up and standing up in my living room here. Um, so yeah, uh, we haven't gone back to Paul in a while, and I know we were doing this series on Paul, and then we kind of got away from it, and we got into a little bit of deliverance ministry and some deliverance ministry with Paul, right? Uh, so let's get back to Paul today, and um, I specifically want to speak on uh, where Paul says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That is one of the most powerful words uh, spoken by Paul, I believe. You know, Paul says, what Paul is saying there is, he's saying that he chooses to live... For the glory of Christ. He's saying he's saying that it is great to do so. And he's saying that dying in Christ is even better. Now, I know if you look at that on the surface level, you know, um, it just doesn't make any sense to you or me, right? But that is why... We're here, right? To, to dig, to look beneath the surface of those words, if you will. Now, I know that if you listen to me, you're not some nine to five Sunday churchgoer. You're a Bible thumping Christian, amen. So I know that you have considered the concept of living for Christ. But, but, what about the idea of dying for gain? Well, we, what, we, what we're going to attempt to do today is explore the benefits of both of them. So, what is the real meaning? What is the context, if you will, of Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, where it says, To live is Christ, to die is gain. But before we even attempt to answer that, let's do like we usually do here. Let's look at some of the background of the book of Philippians. What happens in the book of Philippians? As you know, that book was written by the Apostle Paul, right? And it was written sometime around 62 AD. I believe we talked about that before. And he was most likely a prisoner of Rome. I think we discussed that as well. And when you read it, you can tell that the theme was joy. The joy of, of encouragement 
to the church of the of uh, that was in Philippi. You notice that he was thankful. He was thankful and he was appreciative of that church. One of the reasons that the book is so unique is that he's not addressing an issue. He's not addressing some problem that they're facing. Well, yeah, except for the disagreement that uh, took place <clears throat> took place between two people who were who who worked with Paul in spreading the gospel and helping to build the church. Those people, you know, were of course uh, I'm go I'm going to butcher the names, but I'm going to try to say it. Euidia and uh, Sintish. I got that written down here to make sure I mentioned it. Now, what about the context? The context of Philippians chapter 1. We see at the opening that Paul, he gives his usual greeting, you know, one of grace, one of peace, where he identifies himself and also, you know, who he's writing to. And then... Then we see him tell them how he feels about them. You can honestly feel just how how he feels throughout the first chapter. Th this emotion, it, it helps us to understand the meaning uh, and the context of verse 21. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Let's turn and read something real quick. Turn to verse 20. Uh, Philippians chapter 1 verse 20. It reads, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Let me get you to look at two words in that verse. They are ashamed and exalted. You see, Paul was concerned that he would live in a way that would bring shame on the gospel and the cause of our Lord Jesus. He wanted to live in a way that would exalt Jesus in every phase of his life, regardless if he had to live or to die. And that right there, that leads us to, to both the meaning and the context of verse 21. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Let's break down both parts. To live is Christ. This one is simple, right? I mean, we can all agree that everything we do in life should be for Christ. If you go to school, it's for Christ. If you go to work, that's right, it's for Christ. If you get married, if you have a family, they're for Christ. Do you serve in the ministry? Do you play on the team? Whatever it is you do, you should do it in the mindset that it is for Christ. You should do your best to exalt Christ in every aspect of your life. I hear you. I hear you. You're saying, why does that matter, right? Because when you are exalting Jesus, 
you're creating an opportunity for the gospel to to be spread right by exalting jesus you actually open up a door to share him with people I actually got asked one time, this girl that I used to work with, she said, why are you always so nice, Jamie? And I said, because I have Jesus to keep me happy. Because of that, I, I, I do not let small things bother me. You, if you get around me long enough, you'll notice that. Uh, small things, I tend to just let flow off my back. Sure, after, the, you know, after they expound and expound and expound and expound, it's that same thing over and over and over again. I'm, I can get aggravated, but something small, I don't let it bother me. And, and and some things that I might consider small, you might consider kind of big or large. You know, when I was working at Custom Glass, you know, the way they were treating me there, I let that go and go and go and go and go. I didn't let it bother me. And then when I finally, you know, let it go, they're like, wow, you know, why would you say that more? It didn't bother me. I mean, yeah, it, it was, it was, you know, whatever. But and everybody's, oh, well, that that would have driven me out the door. I don't let it bother me. Things like that, you get the chance when when someone sees that you, that you're not letting that bother you, you can win them over. And that's not just just what you say, right? It's not just how you speak about it. It's also how you live. Paul says to die is to gain. So, what can be better than living for Christ? You know, getting the chance to shine a light and win people over to God's kingdom. Now, I know in the natural, this might sound crazy. To you or me, it will sound crazy. But death is better. Look what Paul says. Look how he says it. In, in Philippians chapter 1, we're going to read th two, let's read three verses here. Let's read 22, 23, and 24. Paul says, But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in the straight, straight betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. If you were to really just take hold and, and examine what Paul is saying here and just grasp it and understand it, let me tell you, you really understand the meaning of Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. It was beneficial to the church of Philippi and everyone else, okay, that Paul ministered and, and to and for that he had to keep living right Paul he would be able to keep serving them and he could be a blessing to the body of Christ and that is what it, you know to live as Christ means don't forget Paul is writing he's writing this okay while he's writing this he's in prison so when you understand all the challenges that Paul faced, Paul understood that as great as it would be to, for him to serve Christ in life, it would be far better to just die and go 
be with Christ forever. Now, do not take what I'm saying is wrong here. I am not telling you that we should want to die, okay? I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that the that death for a Christian, that is not an ending. You'll hear me say that when I minister funerals, which I don't, <laughs> I'm not a fan of doing, but I do. Death is the beginning. In death, you lay down your struggles, okay? You complete your race. You enter the presence of God for all of eternity. That is an experience for every true believer. And it is the true, it, it is truly better. Okay? Now, I want you to consider something for a moment. If to live is Christ, what does that mean? How should we live? You know, how, how do you, in fact, live for Christ? Do you remember what I said earlier? How everything that you do in your life should be for Christ. That is true. But it's just a, for lack of a better word, theoretical statement. Let's make it practical, okay? Remember remember those four areas that I mentioned? I mentioned four. I said school, right? I said work, family, and I, and I think the fourth one I said was ministry. Now, what I'm planning to do here for you is I'm not going to give you answers, all right? Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you some questions. And feel free to... Uh, you know, message me your answers if you don't feel comfortable calling in on the hotline and leaving a voicemail. These questions will help you think if you don't want to do either one of them. If you just want to think on them, these questions will help you think. And they'll help you think about how do you live? This is the real reason of doing it. Not for you to message in and to, uh, to participate here. Just just to help you consider it and think about, do I live for Christ? Do I honestly live for Christ? And if, you, if your answers are no, maybe they'll help you make changes in your life. To let God show you how He wants you to change. So let us start with school, okay? We're going to do this like an adults here. We're going to start with school. Living for Christ in school. I don't know how many of you are teenagers that listen. A lot of you guys, I don't know. You know, some of you don't don't message me. I don't I don't know who you are. So let's talk about living for Christ in school. And I'm gonna ask you this: Are you achieving at the highest level that you can? You know, are you or or, or are you just sitting in your desk, bored out of your mind, not listening to what the teacher's saying or even anything? What are you doing? Because if you're living for Christ, you should be achieving the highest level that you possibly can. Am I saying you should be making straight A's? No, but you should at least be trying. Let me ask you this. What activities are you engaged in? Are you engaged in Christian activities? Are you engaged in activities that help people? That, that, that are biblical? You know, when they're helping people, you have to think about that too. Especially nowadays where people think that that uh, 
when we're helping people, we should be out there marching for gay pride, which is sinful. That we should be uh, promote, you know, helping young girls go to to abortion clinics, which again is sinful. Those are not helping people. Those are helping uh, the, the wicked cause, right? So, what what kind of activities are you engaged in? And like I said earlier about the grades, how do you respond to your teachers and the, and and other people at your school who are in authority, like uh, the janitor, for example? Whether you like it or not, the janitor has authority at that school. That police officer that's up there, that's that's there to help you, to to guard, to make sure you're safe. How do you respond to them when they're when they're speaking to you or making requests of you? How about this one? This is one that I've thought about, especially since I got into the ministry, because a long time ago I used to go, hey, you didn't even know I was a Christian. And I thought that was cool. But it's not. So let me ask you, how would your friends respond if you, you spoke up and said, hey, I'm a Christian? How would they respond? Are they the ones you should be hanging out with? Or should you be trying, maybe you should help them, conv, I wouldn't say convert, but, but how, help them find Christ. Because that is what we should be doing. We're not told to make converts, we're told to make disciples, and the disciples were the ones who were uh, converting people, if you will. We're not told to make converts, we're told to make disciples. Are you a disciple? Do your friends know you're a Christian? Right? So, you know, and, and, and then let's think about this. Okay, so after school, you're going to go out, you're going to find a job, right? So how, how about your job? Let's look at your work life. You know, so we're talking about now living for Christ at work, right? Are you punctual? Do you show up to work on time? I myself, anyone who works with me will tell you I'm always at least 15 minutes early. I try to go for 30, but usually about 15 minutes early. And, 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 and I don't like, you know, when I'm, going, when I'm on my way and I'm rushing because I like to be 15 minutes early. So we should always be punctual. We should always make sure that we're at work on time. You know, uh, what about your job? You know, are, can you be trusted to do your job right? You know, or do you constantly have to be reminded what you're supposed to be doing? Right? Your, your boss should be able to tell you, do this, and you go do it. You know? Or, hey, but what about your friend, your coworkers? Do they find it easy to work with you? Or do they dread working with you? And then, of course, yeah, then you have to ask the question, because of this modern world, why do they dread working for you? Do they dread working for you because you're a Christian and you might bring up God? Or do they dread working with you because you're just a pain in the butt to get along with? <laughs> you know? Um, are you, are, are you the one who is usually creating a healthy work environment or are you, let's face it, guys, we know these, we, every one of us knows someone like this who's stirring the pot. You know, we talked about this, uh, I believe, uh, Sunday on the sermons in the park, I, I spoke about how, you know, some people you work with, they will cause trouble just for the sake of watching the trouble happen. They will lie about you 
They will lie to you about another employee just to cause trouble so they can stand back and watch the world burn. Is that what you do or do you do your best to get along with everybody? Think about these things. Well, what about your family? Let me ask you this. How's your family life? Do you love your family? Do you do you spend time with them? Do you show them you love them? And then, and by that, I don't mean go out and buy them things that they honestly don't need just because they want them. That is not loving your family. That's just buying things. That's shutting your kid up because your kid wanted it and you don't, you're tired of listening to it. I'm talking about truly love them, truly spending time with them. You know, here the other day, I didn't even ask my wife and kids. I'm just you, and, and I'm not saying I'm perfect. I, there's, there's, there's moments where I do, you know, where I get upset that I shouldn't be upset and things like that. So don't, don't think I'm being perfect when I'm giving you guys examples of something that I did. I'm just giving them to you as an example. Uh, last week. Well, it wasn't last week. It was like, what? I was off Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So it would have been Thursday. Out of the blue, I just said, hey, honey, let's get the boys and go. So we went to Finley, and we spent the day out, and we went out to eat. Was there a reason? No. I did it just because I wanted to get out of the house with the, with, with, and, and, and spend some time with the family. Just doing something as simple as that. There are so many people who who work, and that's the reason I put this after the job and on my listing here on my computer. That, that you probably could tell some of these questions I'm reading off here because I wrote them down to make sure that I had them ready for you, and I put them in a specific order. But there are people who think that working all the time is being a good parent, a good lo- you know, a good spouse. And it's not. I mean, sure, you're taking care of the bills. You have money to, to, to take care of the things that when, when they arise. You need to spend time with your family. You need to physically, amen, spend time with them. Take them places. Do things with them. Show them you love them. I have a, I have a friend. I'm not naming any names on here. Who, who, who's him and his wife split up, and he was so confused, but as to why, and me and another friend tried to explain it to him, and he it did not, it did not click in his brain. Still, I still don't think he knows why. But the fact was, he was not spending time with them. Any time that the job offered overtime, he was there. We would make plans, like say me and my wife would want to get together with him and his wife and our kids could hang out, right? Those plans were made. His wife was expecting to go along. The job would come up and go, hey, uh, this Saturday we're having overtime. Jamie, I don't think I'm going to be able to go with you. 
Oh, well, I gotta do. I gotta get this overtime. So later on, when him and his wife split up, it didn't click in his brain. He kept going, but I'm a good provider. But you're not there. That is not... Our marriages is meant to be like Christ for the church. As the husband were Christ for the church. Same way as you ladies. Your ladies, your marriage should be like Christ for the church. Doing what is expected of you. Spending time with your family. You can't be at work all the time and expect your wife and kids to be happy. You need to spend time with them. You need to be there. And hey, if you want to look at the you want to look at the the, the the monetary going, oh, but but the money. Let me ask you this: What's the point in having a million dollars if you can't do anything with it? If you're at work all day, every day, earning money, where are you spending it? What are you getting out of it? Oh, my bills are paid. Yeah, but your bills can be paid even though you're not at work. If you're working only the 40 hours a week and you're earning enough to pay your bills, your bills are paid. But you still have all this other time to do other stuff. If you're constantly at work every day, every time there's money, money is not going to help you. Money is not going to hug you when you're crying. Money is not going to comfort you when... Goodness forbid, your mother passes. What's money going to do for you? What's that company going to do for you besides send a flower to the funeral? What is what? What what'd you get? Nothing. Your wife left you. Your your kids are with her, unless your wife sends the kids to the funeral with you. But who's going to comfort you? Is Benjamin Franklin going to pop out of the $100 bill and give you a hug? No. God will comfort you, but your wife, she's gone. Why? Because you, uh, you were at work all the time and, and she, she didn't know you loved her anymore because your job meant more to you. Now, am I saying it's right for her to leave you? No. Am I saying... The, 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 am, I, am I giving an excuse? No, I'm just pointing out. You should spend time with your family. Jesus is there with you all the time. Your marriage is supposed to be like Jesus for the church. If Jesus is there for the church every time, that's the way you should be for your spouse. I know of men who would be at work while their wife is in the emergency room dying. I have had my wife in the hospital and people go, you should be at work. No, I should be there by her. Not in that job that will replace me the moment that something happens. My dad, it wasn't my dad, who was it? I don't remember, but it was a very wise man, somebody that I trusted. And I, if you are listening to this, I'm sorry I forgot who you were, but it's what what this man told me was the truth. He said, "Jamie, if you were to die tomorrow, 
there would be a help wanted ad in the newspaper before your obituary. And that is the truth. Anyway, moving on. So, speaking of the family, like I just asked you, do you spend time with your wife and kids? Okay? Do you prioritize your family over your career? Or do you prioritize your career over your family? Just like I was just saying. Now, this is a little bit off of what I was just saying. So, as you can see, I went off on a little bit of a tangent there and covered two of the questions. <laughs> but, when your family looks at you, your wife and kids... Do they see Christ in you Monday to Saturday? Because so many of you, now I'm not, uh, now I don't mean all of you guys, because I know, like I said, you don't listen to me because you're a Sunday uh, nine to five Christian. No, but some of you, yes. Do you, does your family see Christ in you Monday to sun, Saturday, or do they only? see it come out while you're sitting in that church on Sunday morning or Sunday night, whichever one you go to, or you know, I would go, when I was growing up, I was at church Sunday morning, Sunday night. And then uh, I believe there was a Tuesday, Wednesday meeting. I was always in church, but I know m the majority of these modern churches, they only do the Sunday and the, sometimes it's Monday or Sunday mornings and Sunday nights, you know, but do, do they only see that when you go to church or do they see it in you every day of the week? Do you do your best to forgive others? All that good stuff that you should be doing. Blasphemy. You know, you shouldn't be blaspheming the Lord. I'm still, I've been a minister now for what, three or four years? Well, I've been ministering now for three or four years, but I still have to fight that habit of saying, J.C., when I get upset or, you know, I, I, I the, the cussing I've kind of worked my way out of, but I'm still changing those things. Blaspheming the Lord's name is something we shouldn't be doing. Do you still do that? Does your family see that on you Monday to Saturday? You know, um, what about your family members who don't know Jesus? Do you embrace them or do you reject them? You know, no, you should not shun them because they don't know Christ. You should be trying to introduce them to Christ. But you should not shun them. You shouldn't force them away. Okay. Um, what about your minute? Now, now, I know, like, cause you guys know for a fact, there's ministers that listen to me. I mean, you, you met at least one uh, that I interviewed here. So let's talk to you ministers out there that listen to me. Um. Who, you know, either watch or listen. You know, some of them watch me on YouTube, but they don't listen to me on the podcast, and I wish they would. But I know you're out there. So, what about your ministry? You know, do you do you put more emphasis on the work of the ministry over spending time with your family? Because again, that's something you should not do. You you should join the two together, right? You should, the family is important. It's just as important. Do you run yourself ragged, you know, while serving and doing the Lord's work? That you forget to spend time with the Lord? Yes, 
there are so many I'm glad I wrote that down on here um, there are so many ministers who will run themselves ragged that they forget that they're serving God they need to also spend time with God kind of like it's kind of like with the whole situation where you're going to work so much you know like my friend that I spoke of earlier he's working so hard to earn that money for his family that he's forgetting that he needs to spend time with that family there are so many preachers who slip off into sin because they're so busy working for the Lord they forget that they're serving the Lord you know it you have to spend time with God. You need to commune with God. You need to pray. You need to stop worrying. You know, a lot of them will literally quit and they lose faith because they're they're so busy doing the work that they forget that who they're working for. Do you uh, do you make your ministry? Here's something right here. What I'm about to get into, and then I'm going to talk about it a little bit. Let's let's ask the question. Do you make ministry about the people and not about the personal gain or reputation? There are so many ministers who will change their ministry to make the people happy that they're not helping anyone. I had a boss when I worked at, uh, back in Shreveport, I worked at AutoZone. My boss there, one of his things that he said to a customer that I have applied to my ministry. And I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to paint you a picture with it. And then I'm going to say what he said. When you go to a mechanic and your car is. Oh no, let's let's change it from a mechanic because let's make it more personal for you. When you go to a doctor, an emergency room, how about an emergency room for the doctor? You're sick, right? And you go to the doctor. And the, you go in there and the doctor comes in and he die, he he does all the blood work and he does all the x-rays and and he's examined you and the doctor walks in. And he tells you You've got such and such disease, and there's only one treatment for it. Are you going to look at that doctor and go, you know, start up, get upset? No, you're going to listen to him. Why? Because the doctor has told you what you needed to hear, not what you want to hear. Because my customers would come into the store at AutoZone, and my, my boss, the, the, the guy who ran the store, the boss, my boss there, was a mechanic. He'd been, he'd been a mechanic for years, uh, but he was working at AutoZone as a manager now, so he knew cars. And, he, and people would try to argue with him, and he would go, look, do you want me, if you want me to tell you something different, tell me what you want me to tell you. But I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. Not what you want to hear. What you need to hear. And the, the customer he said this to, basically his car was junk now. There was no way he could fix it. It would, co it would cost him more to fix that car than to go buy a new car. So, 
as a minister, you should not tell people what they need want to hear. You need to tell them what they need to hear. Focus on the truth. Don't worry about what the people are saying. Like I asked you right here, are you more worried about your personal gain or reputation or the people? As I said the other day in one of my sermons, we as Christians should be watching we should we should not be just watching people go to hell. We should be grabbing a hold of their ankles and trying to keep them from falling. As they're falling to hell, we should have a hold of their ankle begging them to come back. That is what your job is as a minister. That's what your job is not only as a minister but as a Christian. Jesus said, make disciples. He's, he's not talking, he's not saying make converts. Make disciples. Okay? Anyway. <laughs> Here's something for, this is, I got this down here under ministry, but this is something for everybody. Do you talk about the people in the church and the ones you serve more than you pray for them? Brothers and sisters, we're all guilty of it. I was there. I know you're there. But I'm going to tell you a story. Um, this is not something that I experienced. But in a way, we all have. Okay? We've all seen somebody like this person in this story. I, I read this in a minute, one of my uh, the books that I've studied for ministry. I'm going to tell you two stories because I just remembered another one. There's a lady, that, this one's kind of a, a I, don't, I don't know if it was meant to be a joke or just a story, but this woman goes to the preacher and she's concerned. And she's telling the preacher about this woman in church and how she dressed. And the woman... The pre she's going on and on. That's why she's leaving the church. I'm leaving the church because of this woman who comes in here dressed like this and acting like this and doing this. And the preacher says, do me a favor. And she's like, what? He goes, you've been coming here for years. I want you to try something for me. He said, tonight, come back to the, to, to the church tonight. He said, and I'm going to have something for you. So she comes in and he and she walks to the front and he grabs a glass and he fills it to the brim with water. And he said, before the service tonight, I want you to pick up that glass of water and I want you to walk all the way around the sanctuary. And he said, I just want you to do it the whole time I preach. So she does. And at the end, she sets the glass down on the on the altar, and he comes up to her at the end of the service, and he said, "So, did you see the gorilla sitting in the back?" She goes, "What gorilla?" And he said, "Did you see it sitting back there?" She said, "No, I was too busy looking at at the water about to to spill out of the glass." He goes, "Exactly. You're wor you're more worried about what everybody else is doing." than what you should be worried about. So many of us would rather sit there and complain 
and complain about what others are doing instead of worrying about our own lives. Another one that I read, this one I read, um, this was actually one of my deliverance ministry books, but it was talking about rumors, how we spread rumors. And this goes back to, you know, people at work who, who, who will sit there and lie and start rumors just to watch the world burn. There was a preacher in England. This is, again, I don't believe this is a true story. I think it's just one that was written to prove a point. There was a preacher in this small town, and this woman heard a rumor about the preacher. And she started telling people about it, and she was accusing him of these things, these horrible things that he did. I don't remember the story. The story had all of that in it. And she winds up finding out that the things that she said, the things that she was told, were not true. But by this time, the preacher had basically the 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 whole church had started to leave because they didn't trust the preacher anymore. And she goes up to him and she's crying, right? And she's apologizing to the preacher. And she's saying, what can I do to fix this? And he said, he reaches over and he grabs a, uh, he grabs a pillow, a feather pillow, and he cuts the top of it. And opens it up and he says, I want you to take this bag, this, this pill, these feathers here in this bag. He said, I want you to go up. You see that hill over there? And she goes, yeah. He goes, go up to the top of that hill. And I want you to, while the wind's blowing, I want you to throw all these feathers, just empty this whole thing out and let the wind blow them away. He said, then I want you to go and I want you to collect every feather and put it back in the bag. And she goes, Preacher, that, that's impossible. And he said, that's exactly how hard it's going to be to fix everything that you've done. But I do forgive you. When you sit there and you spread a lie, you're going to tell that lie or that rumor that might you know, that's probably not true, and you're going to put that in one person, and then they're going to tell it to so, so many people and so many people and so many... And it's going to just charge a chain effect and it can ruin someone's life. It can ruin their ministry. It can ruin everything. You know, and, 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 and I'll tell you, you know, while I'm on that, I'll tell you another story. Andrew Womack is a minister that I respect and I heard him once. Now, I don't agree with everything he teaches, but I heard him once tell a story about a church that he was ministering in and there was this new couple that came in and all the women in the church were complaining because the one the, the wife was wearing revealing clothes like her her you could see a lot of her cleavage and the dress was really short and all the women were complaining and um Andrew's wife came to him and told him, she says, the ladies in the church aren't happy and we need to just tell them to go. She shouldn't come to the church dressed like that. And Andrew goes, before you do that, have them, let's, let's invite them over for dinner. 
and invite you know, and we'll have all the couple, a few couples there, the the elders of the church, if you will, and said, when we do that, we'll make our decision. The couple comes over, and what came out at the dinner was that this this couple had converted to Christianity recently, and they left a nudist colony. And the poor lady was crying. The poor lady was explaining to these ladies. Now, no, he didn't bring it up to them. They just were discussing who they were and what they, you know, what their life. And the, uh, the, all the ladies looked at her and says, "Honey, don't you have any other dresses? We, you always wear the same." But she goes, "No, I don't. This is the only dress I own." Right there shows you all these ladies were ready to kick this lady out of the church because she, oh, she was wearing the only dress that she owned. Andrew said that all the other ladies got together and they started giving her dresses and, and actually took her to the store and bought some nice dresses for her. Now, do not get me wrong. Um, this list that we've gone over, this is not an all-inclusive list, okay? I do hope, though, that they will make you think, right? You cannot accidentally live for Christ. It's impossible to accidentally do it. You, it, it has to be done intentionally, and that way, because you are doing it intentionally, you're able to say, just like Paul did right there, that to live, to live for Christ, right? You're able to say to live, you're able to say that you live for Christ. Christ will be exalted in your life, in your body, in the way that you live, whether you live or you die. Okay, do you see now how, how there's a lot of meaning in that one verse? Now, let me give you one final thought before we get done here, because I have to go pick my wife up from dialysis. Live as great a life as you can for Jesus now. Don't delay. I'm telling you, make every day count. Make every moment count. If you're not okay out there on a limb, you're taking up too much space. When you're done living, and that day comes, when you're breathing your last breath, you will know it was all worth it. As good as this life is now, oh, brothers and sisters, it's going to be so much better in the, in the, in the hereafter. It only gets better from here. Thank you for joining me here. I pray the Lord continues to bless and keep each and every one of you. I pray that what we've talked about here makes you think and maybe bless you in some way. I love all of you, each and every one of you. You're, you're everything to me. And I hope that uh, I get to meet all of you sometime soon. I've met Miss Mary and quite a few others of you on here. Thank you all. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and I'll see you all later. God bless you. Oh, thank you.